Hey, y'all, this episode of Once Upon a Time in Shreveport contains strong language that some people may find offensive. Welcome back, weirdos. You're listening to the second episode of Once Upon a Time in Shreveport. My name is Chris J. If you haven't heard our first episode, please check it out sometime. It's called Shreveport Monkey Paw. It's about a day in December of 2012 when some mysterious severed hands and feet turned up on the floor of a local dog food factory. It's a really weird story, but it's perfect to kick off a podcast about how bizarre this town called Shreveport can be at times. For this episode, we're celebrating the life and work of a Shreveport movie maverick and sports broadcasting pioneer who, in my opinion, has just been completely under-celebrated in his hometown. We're going to be talking about the life and career of Andy Sedaris. When you hear the words Shreveport film industry, what comes to mind? Most people who live here would probably think of the major motion pictures that were filmed here in the early 2000s. Something like 150 movies and television programs were filmed in Shreveport between 2006-ish and 2013-ish. Way more interesting to me than the quote-unquote Hollywood South is our local filmmaking culture, which includes uh, David Nelson's Minicine, the Louisiana Film Prize, Robinson Film Center, and William Joyce's Oscar-winning Moonbot Studios. There's also, there's a guy in Shreveport film history that you've got to talk about if you're going to have a complete and honest conversation about movie making here. He's a tiny, loud-mouthed Greek guy named Andy Sedaris, and long before there were film tax credits in the 1980s, he made about a a half-dozen low-budget action movies here in Shreveport. The films that Andy made with his son Drew and wife Arlene prominently showcase Shreveport, from the riverboat casinos, the airports, the nightclubs, uh, to the local lakes and bayous, but most people haven't seen them. Why? Because the films are filled with an absolutely breathtaking amount of nudity. People are just always getting naked in these movies. They get naked for gunfights. They get naked um, to ride a hovercraft. They get naked to fight ninjas. They're just always naked. There are just so many nude bodies in these movies. And as a result, it seems to me at least, Shreveport has sort of swept Andy Sedaris under the rug. There's no Andy Sedaris Film Festival. There's no mention of his name on the local film office website, um, no mention of the films on, that he made on the local quote-unquote walking tour of movie locations in downtown Shreveport. Unless you really know where to look, it's as if his career just never happened. And I'm guessing it's this way because his movies are absolute orgies of sex, violence, and low-budget mayhem. I, I feel like we're adults here. Like I feel like we are adult enough to um, in- start including... Andy Sedaris when we talk about Shreveport's film history. In this episode, you're going to hear from Andy's son, Christian Drew Sedaris. I'm so excited about that and thankful that he did the interview. Um, He worked on his dad's films and he wrote and directed several of his own movies here. Plus, we're going to get uh, comedian Molly Hires' take 
on the Sedaris movies. They sat down and watched these movies for the first time just for this interview. So I'm super grateful for that as well. It's going to be fun, so stick around. And we'll get started after this message from a sponsor. Hey, y'all, it's Chris. Um, The last time I visited with our sponsor, Cole Sarton of Sarton Law Firm in downtown Shreveport, it occurred to me that he's my favorite real-life lawyer and... I should ask my favorite real-life lawyer who his favorite fictional lawyers were. So um, I did. I I asked my favorite lawyer if he had a favorite movie lawyer. Here's what he had to say. You know, this is weird. I think the best lawyer movie is probably My Cousin Vinny. Um... It's just so unassuming, you know, and he's so practical. Um, I think his scenes in there are very are closer to realization on how things actually work than than the big dramatized movies. Um, however, I do think that in um, what was that with um, uh, Tom Cruise? Um, was it a John Grisham movie or something? Those are the ones uh, as a kid. Yeah, that was how I imagined. You the can't one. handle the truth. Oh, yeah, a few good men. A few good men. That cross examination was one of the best cross examinations, uh, and there's parts of it that that I think are, are applicable in how cross examinations should be handled. To learn more about Cole Sarton and the Sarton Law Firm, you can visit www.colesartinlaw.com. C O L E. S-A-R-T-I-N-L-A-W dot com. Andy Sedaris was born in Chicago in 1931, but his family moved to Shreveport while he was still in grade school. He graduated from C.E. Bird High, Go Jackets, and attended college at SMU in Dallas. While most folks who recognize the name Andy Sedaris think of him as a B-movie director who shot cheesy late-night action flicks in the 80s, that's actually, that's only the final chapter of his incredible life story. Andy started out in Dallas directing live sports coverage for TV. From there, he became this hugely influential figure in the birth of modern sports television. Here's Andy's son and my friend, Drew, summarizing his dad's entree to sports TV. Please pardon the sound quality on these clips with Drew. I'm a one-man band here, and I'm learning as I go. Here he is. So Andy started off at WFAA, and I think it was NBC or somebody needed a director for a football game, and he did it. And somehow he did a couple of sports shows live back then, and um, then uh, I guess he got a call from an artist in room and said, hey, we're putting together this thing called ABC's Wide World of Sports, and, and we've heard you're a good director. We want to give you a shot at it. So he took a shot at it, and he stayed there 25 years. He was our lead director. He scouted every single place. I remember when they built the Astrodome. We went down there, and he had some of the tech guys with him, and he placed every single camera. And they always put the cameras where, even if he wasn't directing, that's where the cameras went. Um, you know, his guys invented the instant replay. And one thing people really don't know is um, when they did the, the, the first space landings, the Gemini's, the ABC trucks were on the aircraft carriers because his guys were the leading edge guys for satellite linkups for television. Wow. Uh, he was there just during a, a very interesting time in television. And he was just the best director I ever met. And I, I worked with quite a few pretty good directors. You know, I worked with Sam Peckinpah and Don Siegel and uh, just a slew of great guys. And he was, he was a team player. That's the thing about him. You know, he'd be having lunch or dinner with the crew. He wouldn't be with the executives, with the talent. He was always hanging out with the guys that made it all happen. Andy didn't just direct football for TV, 
In one of the wildest twists in this story, Andy Sedaris from right here in Shreveport, Louisiana, was brought in to direct the football sequence in Robert Altman's iconic 1970 dark comedy, M.A.S.H. Here's Drew telling the story of his dad's uncredited work on the film. That's an interesting story most people don't know. But yeah, he, he got, my mother worked for Robert Altman, my real mother, or my aunt. And she did M.A.S.H. and she did McCabe and Mrs. Miller. So they brought Andy in to do the football sequences. And I believe Robert saw Andy being not so kind to my mother. So he didn't put his name on the credits of the film. So, of course, it was my dad's contract. He sued the studio, made more money by not having his name on the credits than paying on the credits. But he took it as an affront. But it was, um, you know, it's, what can you say? It is what it is. It is what it is. What's wild about this is that is maybe only the fourth or fifth most significant thing Andy Sedaris worked on. He directed television coverage of the 1968 Summer Olympics from Mexico City. That broadcast is famous because it's the one where um, two black athletes raised their fist in the Black Power salute while they were uh, accepting their medals. He won the Emmy for that coverage. In 1969, he made a documentary called The Racing Scene about actor James Garner's car racing team. As an interesting aside for movie buffs, Quentin Tarantino cites that film as a major influence on how he filmed his car movie Death Proof, and he personally hosted screenings of the film in Los Angeles in 2014. In 1970, Andy Sedaris directed TV coverage of a Muhammad Ali title fight. He was part of the original team that same year that created Monday Night Football. He even directed live television coverage of two space shuttle landings. But we don't remember Andy Sedaris for any of that incredible stuff. For the most part, as a city, we don't remember him at all. You can view the Emmy he won in 1969 in the Sports Museum at Shreveport Convention Center. And you should go see it because it's awesome local history that doesn't get told enough. Why doesn't it get told? I would suggest it's because of the next chapter in his career. And that's where we'll pick up after this message from a sponsor. One of our sponsors is St. Terre, an all-inclusive wedding and event venue located in Benton, Louisiana. One thing that makes St. Terre so unique is their incredible culinary offerings. Co-owner Holly Schreiber is a graduate of the French Culinary Institute who has worked in recipe development for some of the best-known chefs and media outlets in food. Here's Holly. I think generally wedding food expectations aren't very high. <laughs> um, and that is just, that's, yeah, that's no knock on any venue or caterer. It's just kind of how things have evolved in the wedding world. That's not usually on the forefront of everybody's minds when they're planning. And so we really just try to exceed guest expectations when they come and just make things that one are if we can reflective of the couple we've done meals that were um, reflective of their first date or something that specific to their family we've recreated recipes so it's it's important to us that everyone once everybody's out here they stay here they have a lot to eat it's really good and then they want to hang out the rest of the night. To learn more about St. Terre, visit St. Terre. That's S-A-I-N-T-E-T-E-R-R-E.com or call 318-936-9544. It's really unlike any other venue in town. You've got to make the drive out to see it to really get it. Our story so far brings us to the 1970s, which is when Andy Sedaris started making some really wild films. 
They're almost always about sexy federal agents who work up such a sweat killing drug runners that they have to shower and have a whole lot of sex. These films are all rated R, they have theme songs that include the name of the film in the chorus, and the casts are mostly made up of Playboy Bunnies and Hustler Honeys. Occasionally, a bona fide movie star will show up, like Pat Morita, Eric Estrada, or Danny Trejo. The first of these films to really showcase Shreveport, the one you want to see, is Picasso Trigger. Many of the film's early scenes are set in Paris, France, but that didn't stop Andy and crew from filming them in downtown Shreveport. Here's Drew on the topic of filming Shreveport as a stand-in for one of the most architecturally and aesthetically recognizable cities in the world. You're talking about filming uh, downtown. We had like one French license plate and we just moved it from car to car. And in front of the library, that that old uh, metal fence that looked like France. So we just got little shots and kept it tight and then used our one license plate on three different cars. If you look at that movie, I'm the sidecar driver in the assassination. I'm Dublin Rodrigo crashing the motorcycle in Hawaii. And I'm also the guy driving the hovercraft. Drew maintains, and I, I think he's absolutely right to an extent, that the films were intended to be funny by the people who were making them. Not only that, he says uh, that their portrayal of women was intended to be um, um, envelope pushing and empowering, not insulting. And that's, that's, I guess that's up to the listener and the viewer to decide. Here's Drew. We traveled with, uh, you know, I had 10 palm fronds and four or five fake vices, and we put them on the, on the, on the sea stands, and we'd get them in front of our ends, and we'd be in the middle of the desert, and it's Hawaii. We'd be in Shreveport, it's Hawaii. You know, we'd be in Lake Havasu, it's Hawaii. Oh. <laughs> we just we pulled it off, I think. You know, and, and what people don't get, well, some people don't get, is they're, they're supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. They're supposed to be funny. And the women are the stronger personalities in the films. The women always win the fights. The women are, you know, always the smartest, practically, almost always the smartest. And they're the good guys. Look, I know these movies aren't fine art, but to me, there is something to them beyond the surface. I think it's the sort of blind ambition and confidence optimism that you've got to have to even make a low-budget indie espionage thriller. I mean, if you really think about it, when's the last time you saw an indie spy movie? They're hard to make. You need explosions. You need gadgets. As we were wrapping up our conversation, Drew shared a final message for Shreveport. And true to form, he pitched all of us on a project. It's an amazing place. I really miss Shreveport. The people are really nice. The food's good. The weather can be a little tough once in a while. But it's a great place to film. And if, and if somebody wants to pony up some money, we'll make one last Sedaris film. So if anybody out there wants to make a film, I'll direct it. And I'll work for peanuts, believe me. Peanuts and, and uh, just my expenses and a, and a percentage. You heard him. If anyone wants to produce one last Sedaris movie, and God knows I would volunteer to be the publicist, um, let me know. I'd be happy to put you in touch with Drew Sedaris. When we come back, we'll wrap up this episode with comedian Molly Hires, who gives her hilarious and characteristically brilliant take on the Sedaris oeuvre, if I'm saying that correctly. Oeuvre. Hey folks, Chris here. Putman Restoration is a local disaster recovery company. They help residential and commercial clients recover from fires, floods, and natural disasters. Their company has been growing fast. You may have seen their new headquarters out on I-20 West. I asked Putt Putman, the owner, 
how he is growing the company without sacrificing his personal touch. The first 12 years of my company, I did all the work myself. And the thing that motivated me to grow was my parents were getting ready to retire. And I wanted to be able to buy their company. And I knew I couldn't do it if I was doing the work myself. And so I hired a business coach, Everardo Resendez, and it transformed uh, my business. Uh, and he's still working with me to this day. Uh, and the number one challenge for him was to get me out of the truck. That was the hardest thing. And so once I got out of the truck and, and started adding key people that I hired all based off of character, not experience, I just put together a team that really just been undescribable uh, how awesome they are. To learn more about Putman Restoration, visit www.putmanrestoration.com. Putman is P-U-T-M-A-N. So it's www.putmanrestoration.com or call 318-453-5029. Molly Hires is a brilliant young comic from Shreveport who is also known for their role in reinvigorating Shreveport's stand-up comedy scene by, like, booking shows and working with venues to get them to start doing comedy. We appreciate you for all that work, Molly. As someone who I know to be both smart and progressive, but also just outrageously vulgar, I thought they would be the right person to go to for a quick take on the Sedaris films. I started out by asking Molly what they thought of the three Sedaris films that they had just watched back to back to back. Pure, awkward sexuality. I'm going to talk a lot about the horniness of these movies, and I know there's some script analysis and plot we could be talking about, but the weird sexuality of them is really what grabbed me. And the outfits, the outfits for me, because they, they, he, it's almost like he wants to portray women as strong characters, but he doesn't quite have it. So he puts them in like these skimpy little Halloween costume army outfits. <laughs> it just feels like the, the skanky armor, body armor that you see in video games that's not actually doing anything. <laughs> The whole vibe that I got through all three of the Sedaris movies that I watched was very much a boing, ooga, ooga. And I feel like you don't hear a lot of ooga these days. So it was kind of refreshing. I asked Molly whether it was just me or if the outrageous horniness of these movies is amplified and like made much stranger by the fact that the films were produced by a father, wife, and son team. And I, I, that just seems awkward to me, given all of the sex and nudity and violence and just constant, constant, constant showering. My mother and I have made dried flower resin art together. I don't think that I could see myself making borderline smut with any of my family. And again, we're back to the boobs. So many boobs. And I just, I don't think I could look at that many nips with either of my parents comfortably. The size of the breast, every single boob. And I'm telling you, I saw at least 22 boobs per movie for a minimum of 66 boobs total, which is many more boobs than I've seen since the start of the pandemic. Um, every single one was fake. So many pounds of silicone. And I'm I'm not dogging on anybody for that. If you've got the money and you want to buy yourself some big mommy milkers and rock them on screen and make some money, you do it. I'm just saying that statistically, 
that is phenomenal to see that many breasts and 100% of them are fake. I've never been in a room with those numbers. Finally, I asked how they would describe these films to someone who hadn't seen them. Molly's answer gets to the heart of what I love so much about the Sedaris films, but have had a hard time putting into words. So... We have a certain way. I'd have to sell it to somebody in Shreveport because you really do have to be from here to appreciate what is so Shreveport about it. And that's why we're able to appreciate anything that might get a little mucked up in our town. Any event that Shreveport tries to have that Dallas or New York might do better. And some people don't want to go because we're going to Shreveport it up and the rest of us are running to see the way we Shreveport it up. It's almost like one of those Pinterest nailed it memes, but a little more heartwarming. So picture if we did that to Michael Bay's entire filmography with a score that can only be described as porno music played from your Super Nintendo. Molly's right. The Sedaris films are a nailed it meme version of Michael Bay's action movie catalog. And if you build out on that metaphor a little bit, um, Shreveport itself in the early 2000s is like the nailed it meme version of Hollywood, California. One thing I wanted to tell you is how much I appreciated. There are a lot of guns and there are a lot of explosions, but one thing we have not discussed and I have one comment for is all of the hand-to-hand -hand combat scenes because there were some good fight scenes in every movie and every single one of them used those old corny cartoon sound effects of like whoops like all of that through every fight scene and that might have been my favorite part of all three movies combined and i had to get that off my chest and speak my truth to you chris J. That is a wrap for the second episode of Once Upon a Time in Shreveport. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on Facebook. Um, we've got a Facebook page. It's Once in SHV. Again, that's uh, if you search O-N-C-E-I-N-S-H-V, you'll find us. We're going to be posting a lot more there and on Instagram. I want to say thank you to Christian Drew Sedaris, Andy Sedaris' son, who never does interviews about his dad's career. Um, he trusted me, just a little nobody podcaster from Shreveport, and he hopped on a Zoom call from some remote place in California, and I just really, really appreciate you, Drew, for trusting me with your dad's story and taking part. I also want to say thank you to Molly Hires for participating in this episode and contributing their unique and like joyful take on these films. If you want to keep up with Molly's comedy career, you can do so by following them on Facebook. It's Molly Hires, H-I-E-R-S, and I think it's like Molly Hires Comedy or Molly Hires Comedian. You'll know it when you see it. If you feel inclined to purchase Picasso Trigger or any of the Sedaris films, you can get all of them directly from producer Arlene Sedaris in great editions, um, plus all sorts of fun merch at www.andysedaris.com. You can find more episodes in this series, plus show notes, at allyallblog.com. While you're there, you can also explore a huge collection of stories from the All Y'all podcast, a show that um, I produced with my partner Sarah Hebert independently in Shreveport for the better part of a decade. Until next time, you can find me 14 cars back in line at the Southern Classical North Market. Thanks for listening, y'all.